0: Hi everybody, welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. This week uh, we've been talking about Dresden, it's the 75th anniversary of the firebombing of Dresden, the obliteration of that beautiful city that led to the death of perhaps 25,000, perhaps more people, an obscene uh, act of violence on behalf of the Allies that was instantly uh, controversial, that Churchill instantly had... ...appears to have had regrets about. This podcast is about another piece of German history from 75 years ago. A very remarkable, a very disturbing story. The suicide epidemic that accompanied the fall of Nazi Germany... ...75 years ago this, this spring. Dr. Florian Huber has been working on this subject... ...interviewing people who remember their neighbours, their family members... ...their friends committing suicide in the spring of 1945, some because of the atrocities they suffered at the hands of advancing Red Army soldiers, for example, Uh, the extraordinary trauma of sexual and physical violence. But many of the people he talked to said they remember people committing suicide for ideological reasons, because they couldn't bear to live in a world without Nazism. He has even interviewed young people whose parents tried to kill them, and they were rescued by other family members or or passers-by. There's been a dark secret, really, in contemporary German society. And he says that when he wrote the book, as you'll hear him say, there's been a giant of outpouring of similar stories of shared experiences. It's just another one of the myriad of gruesome, tragic, hidden consequences of violence on the scale that was seen during the Second World War. Wherever you look, it seems like we're still counting up new corpses. Uh, you can watch... Uh, the material we've produced on Dresden, we've interviewed Sinclair MacKay, we've visited Dresden with the survivor Victor Gregg, and he met other German survivors there. If you go to History Hit TV, if you use the code POD6, you get to watch all that free of charge for six weeks. POD6, uh, head over there, check it out. It's like a Netflix for history. If you don't like it, don't subscribe. But use the code POD6, you just get a six-week trial period free of charge. Lastly, thank you again, everybody, for rating the show. I don't know why, but it makes a difference. We're high in the charts. Bizarre. But there you go. So thank you for doing it. Really, really do appreciate it because it's an annoying, fiddly thing to do and and it makes a real difference to us. So huge, heartfelt thank you from me. Florian, thank you very much for coming on the
1: podcast. Um, I'm very thankful for you to uh, call me.
0: (laughs) Thank you. So listen, when did the German people, German soldiers, uh, yeah, German civilian population, seriously come to terms with the fact they might lose the war and that losing might involve catastrophic foreign invasion uh, and everything that goes along with
1: that? Well, the first glimpse of, um, of losing the war was absolutely the Battle of Stalingrad. Um, nobody had expected that uh, any German army could seriously lose a battle. And this was the first time, and it could not be denied. So uh, that was the first time that the idea of uh, losing the war and being occupied by the enemy came into the mind of the people.
0: And it's interesting, of course, because there was the terrible reverse around Moscow in the winter of 1941, 1942, but that, had, that been, had that been covered up, had that been glossed over by the government propaganda machines?
1: It had been covered up by propaganda and um, people still couldn't believe in uh, losing any battle from the German side because uh, before it had been Blitzkrieg and Blitzkrieg was always very successful. So uh, being forced to stop in front of Moscow in winter of 1941, nobody seriously expected that uh, it would be the end of the the story for Germany. So, So the Battle of
0: Stalingrad... The German people got an inkling. Was it? Was it the speech by Joseph Goebbels? Was it just after Stalingrad fell when he said that more effort would be required to win this war? He admitted there had been a terrible defeat.
1: Well, Joseph Goebbels delivered a speech in the so-called Sportspalast, uh, which is a, a big hall in Berlin, and um, that was the moment uh, right after Stalingrad when he appealed to the German people to uh, now commit even more uh, to go into the total war and like to um to give everything so um that was a, a big propaganda effort uh, to um to collect the german people behind the big uh, fight the final fight against uh, the enemies on all sides And uh, it made a big impression on the Germans because it was absolutely broadcast all over the country. But still, there was many doubts raised by the Battle of Stalingrad, and it never lost uh, the mind of the people that uh, the German army could be beaten. And this could all go very, very wrong for us.
0: When people started to think about invasion, uh, did they draw on folk memories of of stories of the Germany has been crisscrossed by foreign armies. The Thirty Years War was terrible, the, the, the Russian invasions and the Seven Years War, Napoleonic Wars, the French invasions, uh, and then of course the First World War as well. Was there a was that was, was, was it seen in those terms or was it seen in the terms of the propaganda, the pseudoscience that was being spouted by the Nazi regime about, about the, the the you know racially inferior people from the East or, or the or the British Empire or black Americans?
1: Uh, Well, I don't think that people went back to the Thirty Years' War. That was way beyond. But uh, it is true that um, some people remembered the Russian invasion in the First World War in East Prussia. And that had left a big impression on the minds of the people. And whoever uh, was able to memorize this was still terrified. And that's why the German people were wavering about uh, the expectations of war, because they knew what could happen if the country was occupied. And then again, we have this very, very strong moment of German propaganda, which was for 10 years had been hammering into the heads of the people that the neighbors were inferior. And um, especially the Russians and the Slavic people were like uh, Bolshevik monsters. And if those were kind of um, getting a chance to invade Germany, it were, would end in a, a terrible disaster. like. Uh, women being raped and children being killed. And uh, that was the popular image that was from day to day hammered into the Germans' minds. So, um, yeah, the fears that were raised by the propaganda uh, uh, towards the enemy and also the enemy from the east, from the western front, with the, the well, like black troops from Morocco or from the United States, there was like a, a big feeling of uh, if ever the enemy crosses the German border, this was, was, uh, will all gonna turn up very, very badly for us. I should ask, what are your sources?
0: Because it must be very difficult um, trying to work out what normal
1: people were actually feeling and thinking during this time. Well, I would say there's it's two classes of sources. The first one are, are written memories or uh, written diaries, which I found scattered all over Germany. And there is a very beautiful institution in the southern part of Germany, which exclusively has um, or offers insights into diaries, into personal diaries of normal people from like uh, 200 years of German history. And um, I went there and uh, stayed there for a couple of, of days and dug myself into the memories of literally hundreds of Germans who were writing the diary about um, the 1930s and 40s. And uh, this was a, um, a v- very exceptional uh, opportunity. And the second class of, of uh, memory, I would say, is the personal ones. Um, even though there were not very many people willing to talk about their experiences with the uh, suicidal epidemics, because it's such a, such a sensitive issue, I found a couple of them and I talked to them and it was like a, a oral history reports that I picked up there of people who uh, went through uh, the the um, experience of their parents or themselves trying to kill themselves and that was obviously a very exceptional experience for me as well as a historian Twice a week, every week. Subscribe now and follow me on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFramed.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Dan Snow at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So let's, let's, let me ask about that. I mean, so, so many people made the decision to kill themselves towards the end of the Second World War. Now, was that Because they they were terrified of the approaching enemy forces because they were worried about rape and, and brutality? Or was it that they
1: couldn't bear to live in a world where the Reich no longer reigns supreme? Well, as to the uh, suicide epidemics in in Germany, I found out that there was a a couple of reasons uh, why people could be driven to kill themselves. The first one is, of course, violence. Uh, Many people went through uh, uh, terrible experiences, like uh, uh, thousands of women being raped uh, once, twice, or even ten times. Uh, We have civilians being beaten up, so... um, there was a fear of of violence, and uh, that 's why people could uh, decide to kill themselves. Then we have uh, what we uh, what we could call the propaganda moment uh, that people were really uh, used to think about uh, foreign invasion as a total disaster as um, f- foreign monsters coming to Germany and uh, trying to kill everyone who is who is alive. Then we have this moment of what I would call. A loss of sense of life or of meaning of life, uh, where people who were used to uh, live in this uh, isolated cosmos of the Third Reich for 10 or 12 years, and they could not imagine of living in a world which was without uh, a German state, which obviously was going to happen. Um, another aspect I found out which was quite strong is a feeling of, of guilt or let me better call it a feeling of complicity, uh, because people in Germany knew that, uh, especially in the East, there was something terrible happened to the enemy, to the Jews, to the Slavic people. And um, they were not aware of it in detail. I don't think people really knew about the the details of the concentration camps. But they had been aware that uh, the Jews were driven out of their towns and out of their classrooms. And uh, um, by the reports that German soldiers on leave uh, brought back to Germany, they knew about the crimes that were committed behind the front lines. So um, uh, the awareness of, uh, of retaliation was quite big in Germany because of this. And one last aspect is um, what we call in Germany the so-called werte effect. Um, There was a a book written by Johann Wolfgang Goethe, a famous writer, which was called um, The Experiences of Young Werther. And this was a young man who fell in love with a girl and he couldn't get her and he committed suicide. And at that time, at Goethe's time, there was many, many people who followed the example, who literally killed themselves after uh, reading his book. And uh, that's the Werther effect. And in our times, we can translate it um, if uh, you have like um, your neighbors or your friends or your relatives who kill themselves in a row, you may also get the idea yourselves, even if you are not at all suicidal. So we have this psychological moment of um, of a, of epidemics of really a contagious disease, and that's what we call the Vatter effect. and in all this uh, suicide epidemics and the end of the war, we have a very strong effect, uh, which is uh, has this psychological background.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's extraordinary to think of it as an epidemic. I mean, do you have? Any, are we able to estimate numbers of people that committed suicide in in Germany?
1: Well, for the last uh, weeks of the war, we must at least uh, count on like uh, a figure which goes in the tens of thousands all over germany it is not easy to establish uh, a concrete number because it was total chaos and uh, the administrations had gone blown away and uh, there were no doctors to kind of take a record of who was killed by wh- by whom or by uh, did he kill himself you see so um it uh, it's not well documented but um if we count at least for 7,000 suicides alone in in Berlin in the last four weeks of the war, we must surely count on like tens of thousands all over the Third Reich. You said that these people aren't just killing themselves, like the
0: Goebbels family, the parents are sometimes killing the children as well, but you managed to meet children who survived
1: that experience. I mean, tell me about some of those stories. First of all, it, it was not easy to have people talk about this these terrible events because it is obviously a very sensitive issue. Um, if you imagine uh, your own parents try to kill you and you kind of get away with it, uh, how are you going to live on with that? And uh, I found many people who went through this and um, who were kind of... Uh, tied against uh, the bellies of their grandmothers who kind of tried to drown themselves with their children and they got away because Russian soldiers took them out of the pond. That was one example. Or I was able to talk to a a gentleman um, who, when he was 10 years old, uh, was nearly killed by his own mother with razor blades. And it just didn't happen because the grandfather went between and he stopped her. And um, he told me that uh, even though they both survived, he and his mother lived on together like for 50, 60 years. They never were able to even talk for one minute about these events because it was so extraordinary. And um, parents trying to kill their children and children witnessing their parents trying to kill them is an absolutely extreme experience. And it's very hard to talk about. And uh, I think um, nobody can really get a, get away with it without being heavily traumatised.
0: Is there anything that unites the stories that were told to you by these survivors? You know, any impulses that, that were the sort of same in all the cases? Or was each circumstance different in its, in its, extra- <laughs> each circumstance extraordinary,
1: literally? Well, obviously, I could only talk to uh, people who were children at that time because it's now 70 years uh, after the events. So um, these children always told me that there was a moment when they were not able to recognize their own parents. They were like different people from one moment to the other. It was like a, a moment when they lost Uh, their reason and lost their sense of of life and um, tried to do what they could not ever imagine uh, that their parents would do to them. And that was uh, the moment that united all those stories, this moment of complete irrational uh, step into a a world that was beside them. And that counts for what I would call that um, in these weeks, Germans were literally in an emotional state of emergency, and uh, that could that could drive anyone to uh, to kill themselves or even to kill the children.
0: It's uh, it, it's just the most most remarkable stories. I mean, when when you come to write history in Germany, is, are these topic have these topics been explored before, or is it only now a young generation of historians like you that's able to to write them? And address them for the first time.
1: Well you must not forget that uh, for the last 10 or 20 years we have had a debate in Germany about if it is legitimate to also talk about German victims. Um, Because like before we have turned almost every stone in German history if it comes to the Third Reich, like in terms of uh, the the villains and the victims. but we didn 't really dig into the stories of the ordinary Germans who kind of uh, were victims of the of the war as well, and um, it is just about uh, the last five or ten years that we are beginning to dig into these stories as well, and I think it needed a younger generation of historians uh, who or even of 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 children who asked their their, their parents the question of where were you at that time what was happening to you how did you go to the end of the war and uh, for example my parents never asked the question to their parents about what they did in the war and um, now they do regret it because they're all dead but of course I was able to ask my dad what was he doing in 1945 and he told me his story like over and over again so it it was time for a generation who was uh, like still close enough to, uh, to the generation upwards, but, uh, again, um, had the, the necessary distance to, uh, to ask the, the painful questions and to de- to uncover the stories of their personal families.
0: So if in your, for example, take your case, you have no idea what your grandfather
1: and grandmother did during the war. Well, my, uh, the father of my mother he was uh, he was a forest worker and uh, he was very important for the for the forests in Germany and that's why he didn't go to war he didn't have to so I knew what he did and he did nothing extraordinary uh, apart from uh, going into the forest but um, the dad of my of my father he was like 4 years on the eastern front close to Leningrad and that is literally everything that we know about what he did during those four years, so uh what did he do there? Was he on a fighting front? was he uh, occupied with i don 't know uh, with the camps? Uh, he never talked about it, and nobody ever asked about him so uh, that's like a like a dark spot in the family history and um that is the um, that is a regular story of what happened after the war in Germany, that nobody asked questions and nobody told his story. And that's why it was such a big scandal when a uh, Nobel Prize winner, the writer Günter Grass, um, in the last years of his life uh, uh, uncovered that he was a member of the SS. It was a big scandal. Nobody knew about that. And it is absolutely typical that it was just uh, this story was coming up uh, in the last 10 years. So Germany had a long period of silence. And when the silence was broken, it was due to a new generation who kind of was able to ask those questions and go into the details. Thank you very much for asking those
0: questions, Florian Huber. Your, Your book is called?
1: My book is called Promise Me to Kill Yourself.
0: Right, and you'll have to promise me that you're going to come back on the podcast. I know you're working at the moment on right-wing terrorism in the very earliest days of the Weimar Republic. So please come back on the pod uh, and talk about that sometime.
1: I would love to. Thank you for having me, Dan.
0: Thank you very much. I we
1: have the history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs,
0: this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated.
1: One child. One teacher, one book, and one pen can change the world.
0: He tells us what is possible, not just in the pages
1: of history books, but in our own lives as well. I have faith
0: in you. Hi everyone, it's me Dan Snow, just a quick request.